Well, today we're going to be starting a new series through the book Song of Solomon. Baby, are you ready? Hey, so as we get ready to start off this series, it's a series over love, relationships, dating, sex, and marriage. And I'm really excited to begin to start this series, but I want to start off by honoring my wife. I know that many of you guys think y'all have such an amazing pastor, okay, but that's not true. The truth is, is y'all have an amazing pastor's wife. And so Ashley... It's such a blessing to wake up in the morning and to come home and to find you praying for me and also praying for the church. And so what I want to do to start this series is ask you to pray for me, because I need it, Lord help us, and also to pray for our church to kick off the series. Would you please pray for us? Okay. <laughs> All right, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much that we are... Is it on? Yep, it's on. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much that we are back in our building that we totally missed. I'm so glad and pumped that we're all here together as a family. Father, I just ask that you bless this message, Father. Bless the marriages. Make them go stronger, Father. The people that are watching, Father, I just ask that you bless their marriages as well. Father, I just pray for Byron. (sighs) Because he needs it. it. (laughs) I just ask that you allow him to be your mouthpiece and that you speak through him to our church and congregation. And for anyone that is struggling in their marriages and that anyone for the singles and for the engaged couples, Father God, I just ask that you open their eyes, open their hearts, Father. I just ask that you bless (laughs) Their journey together as they tie the knot to become one, Father. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great job. I love you. So as we get ready to start the series, I figured I would start off by giving you the bad news. The bad news is marriage is not going very well. We all know the statistics. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Christian marriages, they say, are no different than non-Christian marriages. For the first time in the nation's history, more adults are not married than married. Men who get married actually die earlier than men who do not get married. And 40% of children are going to go to bed tonight without a father in the home. Marriage is a good thing, but it's fallen on hard times. The Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. God designed marriage. God made marriage to be a good thing. But the truth is, marriages are not doing very well. And so me and Ashley and the rest of our team, we decided that we wanted to help. And so today we're going to be starting a brand new series through the book Song of Solomon that we are calling The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage. Because who doesn't want their marriage to get better? One of the things that I noticed when COVID-19 first happened is that my marriage didn't get better. In fact, my marriage actually got worse. When we're stressed out, when we're overworked and we're overwhelmed, we tend to take it out on the people that we love the most. And so for me, 
as the pastor of the church, I was working overtime. I was putting in more hours at work and less hours at home. And I was bringing all of the stress back into the family. And we were taking it out on each other. Me and Ashley were fighting. We were arguing. We were disagreeing about anything and everything. And we were at each other's throats more than I can remember. And my marriage was not doing better. My marriage was actually doing worse. And then me and Ashley had a conversation and we, we thought this, we said, we can't be the only ones who are feeling this. Cause I know there's some trouble in paradise, right? I know there's some things we can work on, but we ain't that bad. We can't be the only people who are feeling the struggle and strain when it comes to relationships. And as a pastor, here's what I've discovered is that oftentimes God leads me before God leads the church. See, the Bible says that I am a shepherd. It is my job to lead and to feed the congregation. But also the Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And so if I wanna be a good leader, I first must be a good follower. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me and Ashley first. And then he wanted us to lead you through this study, through the book Song of Solomon, so we can see the Bible's guide to have a better marriage. Because who doesn't want their marriage to get better? And I want you to know, this is the Bible's guide to a better marriage. This is not the Bible. Byron's Guide to a Better Marriage, because nobody needs the Byron's Guide to a Better Marriage. Amen? Amen? See, I, I always say my wife, Ashley, she is one of a kind, because she is the only one who can put up with me. She is one of a kind. So you don't need the Byron's Guide to a Better Marriage. You need the Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage, because there's a lot of marriage books out there, but there's only one book that God wrote, and this is the Bible. That at Redemption Church, we love the Bible, we believe the Bible, we teach straight through entire books of the Bible because this word is unlike any other words. You could go to Barnes and Noble, you could go to amazon.com and you can order a lot of books about marriage, but this is the only book that tells you who made your marriage and why your marriage exists. This book is not about information. This book is about transformation. There's other books that have advice, but you don't need advice. You need good news if you want to have a great marriage. And this is the Bible's guide that will give us a better marriage. So with that being said, go ahead, open up to the book Song of Solomon, chapter one, starting in verse one. And we're going to dive into it today. But before we do, I got to do a little bit of setup to help explain Song of Solomon to you, because it is not like every other book. Okay, it is ancient 3,000-year-old Hebrew poetry. It's unlike any other book. See, at Redemption, we've preached through about 10 different books of the Bible. Some of you all were here when we preached through the, the Gospel of Mark. And so those are stories and biographies about Jesus' life. Song of Solomon, it's a little bit different. Recently, we just finished the book of Philippians. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul. And it's just very clear, very direct. Here's what he's feeling. Here's what he wants you to know. But this book is a little bit different. It's not as clear. In fact, it's a little confusing because it is Hebrew poetry. There's going to be some lines in here and you're like, wait, what? Just for example, next week, he's going to say that his wife looks like a horse. Guys, do not say that to your wife. (laughs) That is not the Bible's guide to a better marriage. Okay. Do not say that to your wife. And then in a few weeks, she's going to say to her husband that your arms are like rods of iron. Now, ladies, you know, it's not nice to lie, 
Right? Don't tell him his arms are like rods of iron, right? Because you know they're not. The only workout he's doing is 12-ounce curls. Like, that's not happening, right? He don't got a six-pack. He got a keg. Don't lie to that guy. Get his hopes up. That's not what it means, okay? But I've done the hard work, and I want to help explain it to you because it really is beautiful, and it's going to give you the Bible's guide to a better marriage, that we want our marriages not only just to be better, but we want our marriage to be healthy, happy, holy, and God-honoring. And the book Song of Solomon is going to teach us exactly how to do that. So I've done the legwork, the homework, and we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be passionate. We're going to get in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Okay, it's going to be okay. But it is going to be good. And I want to start off this series by giving you a quote. And we're going to filter everything through the next 10 weeks in eight chapters through this single quote. So if you're taking notes, write it down. It's going to be very important. Here's what the quote is. That you got to become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. Okay, let me say that again. Very important. You got to become the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. See, oftentimes when it comes to dating, relationships, and marriage, people are always wondering, how do I find the one? Or maybe you are married and you're like, did I marry the one? Most people are wondering, who's the one? Okay, that's the wrong question. The wrong question is not, did I marry the right one? The right question is, am I the right one? Am I the right one? Because you got to become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. This is going to help us understand everything we're going to read through the book Song of Solomon. Because if you're married, you're going to be here and I'm going to say something and all the ladies are going to feel like little elbows. Yeah, listen to that. Listen to that. Huh? Told you. Listen to the pastor. Nope. Talking to you. Become the one. Become the person the person you are looking for is looking for. For those of you who are single, you're going to filter this through this verse or through this quote. you got to become the person the person you are looking for is looking for. Let me go ahead and show you how this works. In the book Song of Solomon, there's going to be four characters that we're going to meet. We're going to meet four characters. The first character we're going to meet is King Solomon. And King Solomon is the richest, wisest, most successful man who has ever lived. And he is the author of the book, Song of Solomon. The Bible tells us that he wrote 1,005 songs, and this is his greatest hits. And it's a love song that he writes to his wife. So men, you want to become like Solomon. The way that Solomon loves and cherishes and adores and gives himself to his wife is the same way you want to love, cherish, adore, and to give yourself to your wife. Men, you want to be like Solomon, become the one, become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for because all the ladies are looking for a Solomon. Ladies, you are the Shulamite woman. She is the one who speaks. She is the wife of Solomon. And the Bible doesn't give us her name, but it does tell us that she is a Shulamite woman. Do you know what a Shulamite woman is? Right? Ashley is a Shulamite woman because every time we get ready to leave, we're always late because she never knows what shoes to wear. I'm always like, hey, babe, got to hurry up. She's like, I might wear these shoes. I might wear these shoes. I don't know. I don't know what shoes I'm going to wear. I'm like, hurry up, you Shulamite woman. <laughs> now, I'm just kidding. Maybe. <laughs> but you want to become like the Shulamite woman. This is the way that God has designed us to be. 
Men to be like Solomon, ladies to be like the Shulamite woman. She is free. She's having fun. She is confident. She has no insecurities and she has desires for her husband. Men, you want to be like Solomon. Ladies, you want to be like the Shulamite woman. And all of the singles are wondering, what's in it for me? Remember, you got to become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. But ladies, we are singles. We did not leave you out because there are the daughters of Jerusalem. There is a third character and it's the others or her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem. So throughout the song, she's going to be singing to him and then he's going to be singing back to her. And then all of a sudden there's going to be a chorus of her friends because that's just the way relationships go, guys, right? Right? She's always going to have some friends. And if you want to get with her, you got to get with her friends. This is the great theologians of the 90s, the Spice Girls. You know what I'm saying? If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. You didn't know Scary Spice was a Christian, did you? She probably isn't. But nevertheless, it's biblical. It's biblical. These are the others. And guys, for those who are single, this is so important for you that God included you in this great book of marriage. In fact, one theologian, D.A. Carson, he says, if Proverbs was written for young men, the book Song of Solomon was written for young women, teaching them what it looks like to be able to find a relationship and then to have that relationship God's way because you got to become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. And so as we're going through this series, I want you to keep that in your mind. You got to become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. Now, there is a fourth character in the book and it's God. But God is never mentioned by name, but he's always working behind the scenes. See, Solomon may be the author, but God is the source. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching. God is working behind the scenes in your life. God is working behind the scenes in your relationships. God is working behind the scenes, building you up and preparing you so that way you can have a marriage the way that God always intended. And so as we get into Song of Solomon, it's going to get hot. It's going to get steamy. But I want you to know that this is God's way. In fact, in Song of Solomon, here's what it says. Song of Solomon 5, 1b, it says this. God speaks. It says, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. That when you do your relationships God's way, you receive God's blessings. When you have relationships God's way, you receive God's blessings. God is blessing their relationship because you got to be the one. You got to become the person the person you are looking for is looking for. With that being said, we're going to dive into Song of Solomon. So grab your Bibles, chapter one, verse one. Oh, one more thing. I promise. I promise. One more thing. Normally, I have really awesome sermon titles. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have really great sermon titles. So like when we're in Mark and I preach the sermon where Jesus cast out demons, guess what that sermon is called? Jesus cast out demons. When we were in Philippians and I preached over finding joy in anxiety, guess what that sermon was called? Finding joy in anxiety. I know, super clever, right? But instead of sermon titles, because this is Song of Solomon, I decided we would have song titles. And so this is not a sermon title. This is a song title. And this song title is this, Better Than Wine. 
Because if you want to have a better marriage, it's got to be better than one. So here we go. We're ready. Are you all ready? Are you fired up? You better put a helmet on because your head's about to explode. This is good. Here's what he says. Starting off, the Song of Solomon. This is the Song of Solomon. The Song of Songs, the best song, the greatest song. It's his greatest hits on the mixtape. This is like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is the Song of Songs. And here's how it starts. She speaks and she says, let him kiss me. Woo, it started good, right? Let him kiss me. Some of y'all ready to say amen, Pastor, wrap it up. I'm ready to get biblical right now. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This ain't French kissing, this Bible kissing. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is what? Better than wine. Your love, she says, is better than wine. We want to have marriages that are better. We want to have marriages that get better over time, and we want to have marriages that are better than wine. And what we're going to see in this text is three things, three ways for you to have a better marriage. And we're going to start off by talking about better marriages are passionate marriages. We're going to see that better marriages are intimate marriages, and we're going to see that better marriages are committed marriages. And here's what I find so fascinating is that Recently, from Yale University, there was a psychologist, after a big, massive study of 10,000 different relationships, he came up with a groundbreaking framework to be able to tell what are the best marriages in America. And he said that every good marriage has three things. He says that they have passion, he says they have intimacy, and they have commitment. And, and I just think this is amazing that even secular psychology is just now catching up with the Bible. Right, that we're going to see those three things today. Song of Psalms was written 3,000 years ago, and finally, secular psychology and sciences just caught up. So if you think the Bible is outdated and archaic, just wait 3,000 years and you'll be proven wrong. So here's what he comes up with. He calls it the triangular relation relationship model. Leave it up to a scientist to find the most unromantic name for romance. Okay, so here's what he came up with. I'm going to throw it up there. He says that there are three things. There is passion. There is intimacy and there is commitment. This is what makes better marriages, right? And this is why some of your relationships have fallen apart because you had passion. This is young love. This is foolish love. This is what happens when you were in high school. Whenever that guy standing next to the Coke machine looked at you and you were like, oh, he loves me. <laughs> and you run home and you start journaling in your Lisa Frank journal and you say, mama, I met the most amazing guy. We're going to get married and we're going to have 17 babies. We're so in love. And your dad's like, over my dead body. I'm like, daddy, I love him. He's an idiot. And then what happened? You realized he was an idiot okay? because you had passion, but that's all you had. And that's why your relationship didn't work. Some relationships, they have only intimacy. This is the way our culture works. This is why we live in a hookup, shack up, break up culture. This is one night stands, Netflix and chills, hit it and quit it relationships. That it's nothing more than just intimacy. And that's why so many people have so many broken relationships because all they have is intimacy. Now, some people, they have intimacy and passion. And this is the reason why people cohabitate because they have intimacy and passion, but they will not have commitment. 
One article that I read said, the apartment key is the new engagement ring because they want passion, they want intimacy, they wanna play house, but they don't wanna be married, they don't want commitment. And so that's when the relationship falls apart. And just so you know, we're gonna dive into this later next week, but relationships who start off with cohabitation, it does not make it better. In fact, it makes it worse. Research has shown that couples who cohabitate have an 80%, upwards of 80% chance of divorce. It's not gonna make your marriage better. It's actually gonna make it worse because you have passion, you have intimacy, but you don't have commitment. And then some people, all they got is commitment. They say, we're Christians, we don't believe in divorce. Do you believe in passion? Do you believe in intimacy? This is some of the relationships that you grew up with. Maybe this was your parents that you saw a loveless, sexless, heartless, soulless relationship and you determined, I don't want that. If that's what marriage is, I don't want that because they had the commitment, but they did not have passion or intimacy. Can I just tell you, that's not God's plan for your marriage. That's not the way that God designed marriage to be. God designed marriage to be passionate, to be intimate and to be committed. In fact, this is the same thing that Jesus teaches. In the book of Mark, Jesus teaches over marriage, and here's what Jesus says. Therefore, the husband will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, do not separate what God has put together. Jesus teaches passion. Leave your mother and father. Hey, mama, I met me a girl. I'm moving out. Leave your mother and father. Young men, write that down. Leave your mama's house. <laughs> There's passion. And then he says, the two became one flesh. What is that? That is intimacy. And therefore, do not separate what God has brought together. What is that? Commitment. Amen. That Jesus even teaches this is what relationships are supposed to be. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're like, but that's not what my relationship is. I wish that my wife was a little bit more intimate. Remember, you gotta become the person you want the person to be. So you need to be more intimate towards your wife. You say, I wish that my husband was a little bit more passionate. Okay, remember, you gotta become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. So that means you gotta be more passionate towards your husband. And those of you who are single, you're like, I wanna find somebody. Well, guess what? You gotta be somebody first. You gotta find the one right here to become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. So with that being said, we're gonna see better marriages, starting off passionate marriages. Here's what she says first. Better marriages are passionate marriages. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. In those days, wine was a symbol of the celebration. And what she's saying is that our marriage is better than our wedding day that the wedding day is when they bust out the good wine. This was cultural for them. In fact, this is where Jesus performed his first miracle, right? Jesus' first miracle was turning water into to wine. And he didn't give the worst wine, he gave the best wine because Jesus wants our relationships and marriages to be the best, to be better. She says, our marriage is better than wine. Our wedding day was great, but our marriage is even better. That I love my husband more over time. And that's the way that love and marriage is supposed to be. That it's supposed to get better over time. Just like fine wine, it gets better over time. Because there's passion there. And I meet a lot of people and they come to me and they say, Pastor Byron, I'm having marriage problems. And I would tell them, no, you're not. 
You're not having marriage problems because there's no problem with your marriage. God made marriage. It's good. The problem's with you. You're having people problems. That's the problem with every marriage, don't you know? The husband and the wife. Other than that, it's a great marriage. You're having people problems. And the problem is, is you've lost your passion. Listen, God's plan is that you would never lose your passion that you would be passionate towards one another and that your marriage would be like wine and get better over time. God's plan is that you would never lose your passion. I meet people and they say, when we got married, everything was so amazing. Listen, marriage doesn't begin on your wedding day. Marriage begins when you get home from the honeymoon. It begins when there's work and there is bills and there are kids, then that's when marriage begins because it's two becoming one and trying to figure out how do we live this life together without killing each other? That's when marriage begins. God's plan is that you would never lose your passion. They say our wedding day was great, but then we lost our passion. When we first got married, we used to watch the sunset, and now we can't even agree what to watch on Netflix. We've lost our passion. When we first got married, he used to take me to fancy restaurants, and now I'm lucky if he brings home Taco Bell. <laughs> You've lost your passion. When we first got married, she used to wear lingerie, and now she just wears sweatpants. <laughs> You've lost your passion. See, God's plan is that you would never lose your passion. She says, uh-uh, not me, not my man. My man's better than wine. It gets better over time. That's the way that it's supposed to be. God's plan is that you would never lose your passion. I want you to think about it like this, that your marriage is kind of like building a fire. On your wedding day, baby, light my fire, right? That's what happened. On your wedding day, you lit the fire. Singles, do not light the fire. Do not light the fire. If you're single, here's your job right now. You just got to be gathering wood. That was not a euphemism. That was an illustration. Let me check my notes. That worked better on paper than it came out of my mouth. Just gathering wood. <laughs> and when you get married, then you can do that thing, right? With the wood and the fire, baby, light my fire, okay? And then once you're married, what happens if you don't keep putting wood on the fire? <laughs> well, the fire eventually is going to go out. And many of us, we get so busy in life, we forgot to pursue our wife. Or we forget to pursue our husband. We forget to be passionate towards one another because, you know, when you get married, everything's great. And then work and the boss and the bills and kids. And then all of a sudden you're moving. One of you gets sick. One of you gets hurt. You get a new job. You lose your job. You move. And then your kids grow up and they got college and they got hobbies and they got extracurricular activities and they're going to softball and they're going to taekwondo and they got ballet and then they graduate and then they move away and then they want to move back and you say no and you got to send them back out again and then they get married and they have kids and then all of a sudden you're old you're retiring and you're turning down the radio just so you can see better and you're wondering what happened where did it all go where did we go wrong because you lost your passion you got to keep your passion she says our love is better than wine and it gets better over time so let me do this let me give you three ways for you to build your passion 
Okay, here's three ways for you to build your passion. The first way is this, start kissing. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Start kissing each other. Kiss each other in the morning. Kiss each other in the afternoon. Kiss each other in the evening. Skin him a rinky dinky doo. Just give him a kiss. Start kissing. Me and Ashley, we kiss all the time. I kiss her whenever I come home from work. My daughters, they're like, daddy's home. And they run up. And the first thing I do is say, mama gets the first kiss. And I walk over and I give my wife a kiss. I'm teaching my daughters what it looks like to find a husband. It's good for you to kiss. Start kissing each other. The second thing is this. Start spending time with each other. Start spending time with each other. Go for a walk. Go on a date. Go on a vacation. And right now I know it's not possible for us to go on vacation. But last week I actually had vacation and we've always dreamed about going to Barbados. Like that's our thing. We want a beach with the sun and an umbrella drink. That's our thing. And we like to sit up there, read 19 books and have nobody talk to me. But we can't go to Barbados, so we had to get a little creative, and instead of Barbados, we went to Backyardos. Do y'all know where Backyardos is? It's my backyard. So I bought a lawn chair and a kiddie pool, and we had vacation at home, but it was about us spending time together. And then the third thing is this, speak life over each other. And another book that Solomon writes, he says, life and death are in the power of the tongue and the one who loves it eats its fruit. If you want to see your relationship grow, you need to watch your words, to speak over one another. And you'll notice as we study through Song of Solomon, she is always complimenting him. I mean, it is just compliment after compliment after compliment. In a few weeks, she's going to say, my lover is ruddy. I don't even know what ruddy is, but if Ashley says I'm ruddy, I'm ready, baby. Let's do this. She is complimenting her husband and he has a nickname for her. He calls her my dove. Oh, isn't that so sweet? It's a lot better than calling her a horse. <laughs> says she is my dove. You need to have a nickname for your spouse. Speak life over them. Some of you got bad nicknames for your spouse. Don't do that. Don't do that. You need to have a good nickname. Ashley is my koala bear because she hugs me and she holds on to me and she squeezes me. She's my koala bear. You need to speak life over one another because life and death is in the power of the tongue and the one who loves it eats its fruit. See, God's plan is that you would never lose your passion for one another. In fact, even researchers now understand this. It's what's known as the boomerang effect that most marriages that do divorce do so by year seven. But what psychologists will tell you is that relationships that hit the 50-year mark have more passion, satisfaction, and fulfillment than any other marriage because they didn't lose their passion. And they actually discovered that couples who have been married 50 years have the same passion as high school's first love. Why? Because... You never lose your passion. Never lose your passion. Start pursuing your spouse. Don't lose your passion. She says, my man, my love, better than wine, which leads to the second thing, that better marriages are intimate marriages. How do I know that? Because if you kiss, it leads to something else. <laughs> you start kissing, it'll lead to something else and it leads to intimacy. Here's what she says. She says, your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. She says, oh, you smell nice. 
You smell good. Guys, take notes. You smell nice. Hygiene is the first step to intimacy. <laughs> Ladies, you're welcome. You need to smell like Solomon. My feet stink. Ashley will not let me in the bed unless I bust out the essential oils and scrub down my feet. <laughs> Guys, get you some essential oils. It smells nice. You want to smell like Solomon? No Axe body spray. That's not Solomon. That's Kyle. You don't want to smell like Kyle. <laughs> you want to smell like Solomon. Get you some essential oils. Let your wife pick your cologne because she's the one who has to smell you. She says, you smell nice. And then she says this, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. What's she talking about? She's talking about, she's talking about his character, his reputation. His name is like oil. The way people see him, the way people talk about him, the way people respect him, that's what she finds attractive. She finds his character attractive. This is for you young single men. Listen to me right now. Here's what you need to be working on, your character. Right now, people are like, I need to work on my game. No, you don't. You need to work on your character. That's what you need. You're like, I need to work on my NBA 2K character. No, you need to work on your godly character right now. That's what you need to work on. See, I need to work on my car. No, you need to work on your character. That's what a lady is looking for, a man who has character. Guys, this is a perfect opportunity for you to be developing the character. Why? Because you got to become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. Who is this woman looking for? She's looking for a man. See, these young women in our church, they're looking for a man. They're looking for a godly man who is going to make them a wife to where they can have children. They're not looking for a boy who's going to act like a child. Guys, work on your character. Now, ladies, this is for you. For all of you young single ladies, I'm gonna do everything that I can through this series to whip these boys into shape. But I need you to do something with me. If I'm gonna teach them they need to work on their character, you gotta work on your standards. You gotta raise your standards and not settle for less than God's best for your life. And if you're wondering, how come all of the bad guys are attracted to me? How come all the losers are attracted to me? Maybe, the problem's not them, maybe the problem's you because you got to become the one the person you're looking for is looking for. And if they're looking for you, you're not the person you're supposed to be. If you don't like the fish you're catching, check the bait you're using. You got to become the one, the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. I will get the guys. I will say, guys, you need to have godly character, but ladies, you got to have godly standards. If he wants to take you to Chili's, you take him to church first. And if he can't worship God, he can't love you. You got to raise your standards. Do not settle for less than God's best for your life. And here's what I can guarantee you. When you raise the standards, you'll raise the quality of men. When you raise the standards, you will raise the quality and character of the men who are drawn to you. Because little boys don't want strong women. That should have got more amens than that. When you raise your character and your standard... You'll raise the quality of the relationships that you bring into your life. When a man with godly character meets a woman with godly standards, that's when their marriage gets better. And so here's what we see. There is intimacy. Here's how she goes. Draw after me. Let us run. Hurry up, she says. Let's do this thing. The king has brought me where? Into his chambers. Where's that at? That is the bedroom. They are getting intimate. 
because better marriages are intimate marriages. Now, let me put an airbag on this. At Redemption, we love to preach the Bible and we love to teach the Bible and say exactly what the Bible says. And as we're getting into Song of Solomon, some of you are gonna be shocked that the Bible actually says these things. And you're gonna think, I thought this was church. The pastor can't say those things. What's going on? Well, I just happen to think that the church should be the place that we talk about these things, right? Because you have no problem watching it on Netflix. You have no problem downloading it on the internet. You have no problem talking about it in the locker room, but God forbid we actually talk about sex in the church. Everybody in the world is talking about, I think the church should be the best place for people to learn because God made sex. And only God can tell us what sex was intended for because he made it. Listen, God is not anti-sex. God is for sex. God is pro-sex, but he just wants us to have sex in the right context. When's the right context? The right context is in marriage. Listen, God is for sex. God made sex. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, you know what Eden means? Delight, bound chicka, wow, wow. Whenever Adam, first words out of Adam's mouth, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Garden of Eden. (laughs) You know why he called Eve woman? Because when he saw her, he said, whoa, man. It's good to be back. God made sex. And in fact, I believe that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had the best sex. Do you know how I know that? Because the last line in chapter two, it says they were naked and without shame. That is God's plan for sex. That you could be naked with your spouse and there would be no shame in it at all. That's what true intimacy actually means, that you could be naked and without shame. It wasn't until Genesis 3 that sex became broken, fractured, flawed, and then shame entered into the world. God doesn't want sex to be shameful. God designed sex to be beautiful between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage for life. This is the way that God intends sex to be. Listen, God is not anti-sex. God is pro-sex, but he just wants us to have sex in the right context. And in the church, we don't have good teaching over sex. I remember the first time I read Song of Solomon, I was in the fourth grade. And I was in Miss Bell's Bible class at Community Christian School. And we had to play Bible roulette. Do you know what that is? It was Bible time. And it's just when you close your eyes and you pick a verse and you're like, God, I hope it's a good one. And then I landed In Song of Solomon, I was like, oh God, it's a good one. (laughs) And this is the verse that I read. Can you throw it up on the screen? Is it up on the screen? She says this. She says, I went down to the nut orchard to see if the pomegranates were in blossom. And I said, the nut orchard? I raised my hand. I said, Miss Bell, do you know where the nut orchard is? She said, you cannot read that book. It's because she did not know where the nut orchard was. We'll edit that out. But we have this teaching in the church that sex is dirty and wrong and nasty and gross. And so save it for the one you love. 
God wants you to understand that he wants sex to be a great gift and blessing in your life, but he wants you to have it in the proper context. What is the proper context? Marriage. One man, one woman in the covenant of marriage for life. That is the sex that God loves to bless. And so let me, let me just give you five reasons for sex. If you're new to redemption, this is gonna be new to you, but if you've been here for a while, then you've heard me teach this before. But because there's such bad teaching around sex and sexuality, let me go ahead and give you a couple of reasons why God gave sex. The first reason is for procreation. If you didn't know, now you know. That's where babies come from, okay? If you didn't know, now you know. The second thing is this. God gave sex for oneness. When you're fighting, when you're disagreeing, when you're arguing, and when you can't get on the same team, get under the same sheets. Okay, because that's going to bring you guys together. When I'm doing marriage counseling with people and they're fighting and they can't come to an agreement, here's one of the first questions that I ask them. How's your sex life? And normally it's not very good. And so I say, your homework tonight is to go be one together. And then I come back a few weeks later. I'm like, hey, guys, how are y'all doing? They're like, we're great. <laughs> right? Because it promotes oneness. The, the third thing is for protection. We live in a world where there is a lot of sin and temptation and it's a lot easier whenever your spouse helps you and safeguards you from protection. Actually, in the book, First Corinthians, we're going to get into it a little bit later. Paul says, do not deny one another sex unless for a specific season or reason while fasting or praying, or you allow Satan into your bed. Because when you deny one another sex, you are setting each other up for temptation. But when you're having Sex, in an intimate way, you are safeguarding the marriage. You are protecting it from demonic attacks in your life. It's protection. The other thing is this, that it's for pleasure. Listen, God made sex to feel good for a reason, right? Because he wants for you to enjoy it, right? He could have made it like getting a root canal, <laughs> but he didn't do that because he wants for you to enjoy, enjoy sex. It's not like whenever God made Adam and Eve, he stepped back to go eat a chili dog, came and was like, wait, they're doing what? Oh my, me in the bushes? No. No, God designed sex for you to enjoy it with your spouse. There is pleasure when it comes to sex. And then the last thing is this, it's for knowledge. This is where true intimacy is. True intimacy means into me see. When you're passionate and when you're intimate with your spouse, you are inviting them in to the most sensitive, the most beautiful, the most important aspects of your life. You're inviting them into your soul. What the Bible says when it talks about sex is that they knew one another, that they are getting to into the soul area of your life. The Bible actually refers to this as soul ties, that your soul becomes connected or mingled together with the other person. And this is why Christians have such a high view of sex. People say, oh, no, no, no. Christians have such a low view of sex. That's not true. In fact, we have a higher view of sex than the world does because the world would say sex is just physical. We don't believe that. We do not believe that sex is physical. We believe it's deeper than that and better than that. We believe that sex is actually spiritual. And I believe that even you who do not believe this truly do. Everyone knows that it's more than physical. Quit playing games. You know it's more than physical. If it wasn't physical, how come I meet with so many people who have broken relationships through sexual infidelity and they're broken over it? It's because they know it wasn't just physical. How come I meet with men who have adultery and cheat on their wives and their wives are devastated? He was just doing something physical. No, he wasn't. It hurts you because you know it's spiritual. 
How come I meet with so many young men who are addicted to pornography and there is guilt and shame and condemnation behind that? And it's not because culture says it's wrong or taboo. It's because your soul knows it's breaking you. How come I meet with women in our freedom ministry groups that have been raped, molested, or abused, and they're in their 50s because someone stole something from them? Don't tell them it's just physical. We all know it's not physical. We all know that it's more than that. It's spiritual. It's inviting someone in to your soul. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Yes, sex is physical, but it's deeper than that. It's more than that. Sex is spiritual. See, God is not anti-sex. God is for sex, but he wants sex to be in the proper context. He wants it to be intimacy. And listen, some of you, you're hearing this right now and you're thinking, well, that's not me. That's not my life. That's not what I've done. That's not what I've gone through. You don't know my story. I don't know your story, but here's what I do know. I know what Jesus has done. And here's what Jesus has done. I've been saying, you got to be the person, right? You got to become the person you're looking for is looking for. And maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking it's too late for me. I'm divorced. My marriage has fallen apart. I cheated on my wife. I'm addicted to pornography. I have been sexually active. I don't know how I can fix this. It's too late for me. No, it's not. And here's the reason why, because Jesus became the person. Here's actually what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 12. For our sake, for your sake, for your sin's sake, for your failed relationships, for your past, for your sexual sin, for your brokenness, Jesus became sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Your past is erased. He has a new future for you. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. From this day forward, live in the new identity that he has for you. Become the person. Because Jesus became the person for you. Better marriages are passionate marriages. Better marriages are intimate marriages. And then lastly, better marriages are committed marriages. Here's, here's how she closes out. In fact, it's her friends that jump in now. They're like, ooh la la, y'all amazing. Y'all kissing and other things. And then the friends see the beauty of the relationship that they have and her friends get a little jealous. Her friends jump in and they say, we will exalt you. We will rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. As we're reading this, some of you are like, I want a relationship like that. Remember, you got to become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. How many of you ladies would love to have a man like Solomon, right? You would love to have a man with rod iron arms. You would love to have a man like Solomon, right? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, yeah, you got to become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. How many of you men would love to have a wife like the Shulamite woman? Men, do not raise your hand. That was a trap, but you can amen me in your heart. You got to become the person you're looking for is looking for. And for all of you singles, remember, you are her friends. 
It's important for you to be around other people who can speak life into your relationships, hold you accountable, surround yourself with godly marriages so you can learn what it means to have a better marriage. You got to become the person the person you are looking for is looking for. And they look and they see this relationship and they say, I want that. Do you know how you get that? You get that through commitment. See, better marriages don't happen by accident. Okay, you don't trip and fall into a better marriage. Better marriages don't happen by accident. Instead, they happen by commitment. You got to be committed to one another. When I do marriage counseling, I'll never forget as a brand new pastor, we had a couple who came in in the church and they said, pastor, we need to talk to you because our marriage is hanging on by a thread. Our marriage is broken. And on the outside, they look perfectly fine. Good church going people. You know, they had good jobs. They had three kids. They got making decent money. You would think on the outside, everything was fine. But in their home and in their hearts, everything was broken. And they sat down and said, Pastor, we don't even get along. We don't even talk. We haven't had sex in years. The only time we have a conversation is when we're picking up the kids or trying to figure out what to eat or if we're fighting against one another. I can't stand them. They said, the only options I see is either we get a divorce, which we don't believe in divorce, so we're going to stay married, or we kill each other. <laughs> and we know God hates divorce, but I think he hates murder worse. And so what do we do? I only got two options. We kill each other, or we stay together and be miserably married, or we divorce. And I said, well, I think there's a third option. I think there's a third option. We want to help you make it better. And that's going to take commitment. But I also know that there are young women who grew up in homes of broken relationships. I was talking with a young one woman several months ago as we were teaching through Mark, and I said this in my Jesus and Divorce sermon, which is the most downloaded sermon I think that I've ever preached. And as I was talking to her, she, she had told me that all she knows is broken relationships, that her parents are divorced, that it was painful, that it was the hardest thing she ever went through in her life. And then it's a series of failed relationships through the rest of her life. And as she's become a Christian, she said, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to date. I don't want to get married. I don't want to have children because I don't want to go through that. And as we're talking about love and talking about relationships and we're talking about commitment, she says that does not exist because she's been so heartbroken. She had given up on love. I said, it does exist. And it's found in this word commitment. In fact, that word commitment, it could also be translated as covenant. In the Bible, it speaks about covenant. It's the Hebrew word hased. Hased means the everlasting loving kindness. That's what it means. A better way is through the Jesus storybook Bible that we read to our kids. It says this, it is the never ending, the never giving up always and forever kind of love. When I read that to her, she began to cry and she said, that love is not real. And I said, yes, it is. Because that is the love that Jesus has for you. Amen. That Jesus loves you with passion that Jesus is passionate towards you, that he would move heaven and earth to be with you. He was so passionate for you that he conquered the grave for you. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus defeated Satan, sin, hell, enemies, and their works and their effects to be with you. Jesus is passionate for you. 
Jesus is intimate with you. Jesus knows the worst thing about you and he still chooses you. That is intimacy. Jesus knows you better than anyone knows you and he still loves you. That is intimacy. And Jesus is committed to you with the never ending, the never giving up, the always and forever kind of love. When he says he loves you, he loves you. When he says he saves you, he saves you. When he says he forgives you, he forgives you. When he says he's with you, he is with you. And he says, I will never leave you, never forsake you, never abandon you. He means it because Jesus is passionate. Jesus is intimate and Jesus is committed to you. Amen. In fact, the apostle Paul says this in Ephesians when he writes, he says, marriage is a mystery. How many of you would agree? Marriage is a mystery. What's the secret of marriage? What's the meaning of marriage? How do I make my marriage better? It's a mystery, he says. But this is what marriage is all about. Jesus and the church. You want to know how to make your marriage better? Jesus. Put Jesus in there and watch Jesus bring healing. Watch Jesus bring health. Watch Jesus bring life. And if he can resurrect from the dead, he can resurrect your marriage back to life again. Jesus is passionate. Jesus is intimate. And Jesus is committed towards you. I know you can be passionate towards your spouse. You know why? Because Jesus is passionate towards you. I know you can be intimate with your spouse. You know why? Because Jesus was intimate towards you. I know you can be committed to your spouse because Jesus is committed towards you. Good marriages don't happen by accident. They happen by commitment. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit with me. Over the next 10 weeks, can you commit with me for the next 10 weeks to put Jesus first in your marriage? You know how I said at the beginning of the sermon that 50% of all marriages end in divorce and Christian marriages are no different than non-Christians? I lied to you. I know it's church, but I totally lied to you. In fact, Christian marriages are different. Christian marriages are actually better marriages. See, the truth is that statistic is wrong. 43% of first marriages get divorced. 60% of second marriages get divorced. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. But do you know what the divorce rate is for Christians? 15%. That you can cut the divorce rate by 30-something percent simply by putting Jesus first. In fact, I'm not making this up. This comes from the University of Virginia. His name's Bradford Wilcox. He wrote a book called Soft Patriarchs, New Men, and here's what he discovered. He discovered that Christians who do three things, Christians who worship together by going to church on a regular basis, who pray together, and Christians who read their Bibles together, married couples together. If you do these three things, you can can cut the divorce rate to 15%. Why? Because Christian marriages are better marriages. Because as a couple, we need to be reading our Bibles together, praying with one another, and attending church together. So here's what I want for you to do. If you want to have a better marriage, first thing I want you to commit to for the next 10 weeks is read your Bible together every single day for 10 weeks and to pray together every single day for 10 weeks and then to come to church, whether online or in person for 10 weeks, commit 10 weeks and see what God can do in your marriage. Give me 10 weeks. And if it doesn't work, you can get your money back, but it's free. (laughs) But give me 10 weeks, commit to this, read your Bible together. Here's what me and Ashley do. 
We actually use the YouVersion Bible app. Right now we're going through Craig Groeschel's From This Day Forward. We're reading it. It's about marriage. We sit down in the morning, every single morning, and we read it and we pray together for five minutes. That's all it takes. Five minutes to 50 years of marital bliss. Is your marriage worth that? Would you invest five minutes for 10 weeks to have a better marriage? And then for those of you who are single, here's what I want you to do. I want for you to read your Bible every single morning. I want you to pray together every single morning. And I want you to come to church every week, whether online or in person, because you got to be the one if you want to find the one. And hopefully you find him here. You got to become the person the person you are looking for is looking for. And I'll add one more thing for the singles. It's going to take a commitment. So if you're here and you're single, I'm going to challenge you. 10 weeks, no sex. 10 weeks, no pornography. 10 weeks, if you're living together, move out. 10 weeks, crash on somebody else's couch. 10 weeks. What's 10 weeks if it's going to give you a marriage that's going to last 50 years? What's 10 weeks? Commit, no sex for 10 weeks. Let's give the Bible a shot because I believe the Bible has a better way. I believe that the world's way is not working, and so we might as well try God's way. Amen? Amen. And Song of Solomon is the Bible's guide to a better marriage.